Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Howdy. Jerry. Yeah. And this is Stuff You Should Know. That sounded uh, sardonic. Yeary. Yeary. The J is silent. Like yeah. yogging. <laughs> yogging. I'd never get sick of that movie. No, it's a good one. I haven't seen the second one. Don't really intend to, but... I'm afraid to. Yeah. Because it might tarnish my love of uh, that character. Because yeah. I've heard it's not very funny. So just keep it keep it with the first one. All right. I'm totally going to watch it. I'm just waiting for cable. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, TBS knows what they're doing with movies that were for the big screen. Yeah. Size them down. <laughs> Best start ever. Uh, so, you doing good? I'm great. Okay, good. Um, so we're talking today. Yes. About IVF. Yes. In, in, in vitro fertilization. Yes. Um, and I have to say, Chuckers, yes. I don't really have, by the way, I don't have an intro for this one. Okay. Ta-da. Um, although I do have a bit of one. All right. Let's see. Uh, in 19, no, in 2013. Yes. A lady named Louise Brown mm-hmm. celebrated her 35th birthday. And with her birthday coming and going, yeah. she announced that she was pregnant with her second child. For her. This is like mind-blowing, crazy stuff all over the place because Louise Brown yeah. was the first human being mm-hmm. ever conceived using in vitro fertilization. Yes. They called them test tube babies back then. Remember that? Yeah, totally. Test tube babies. You don't call it that anymore. No, we've gotten a little more scientific as a society since the 70s. Yeah, plus I don't think they use test tubes. Yeah, if they ever did. Yeah. I think maybe Petri dishes, culture dishes. Yeah. Not test tubes, but you know. Culture dish babies. (laughs) Right. That's weird. Test tube baby, it kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It's got the two T sounds, which makes it a little funny-ish. Yeah. And um, intriguing. Yeah. But that's what she was. She was the first test tube baby. It was 1978 in England. Um, and she was born July 25th, I think. Um, like just a few days later, I think, uh, the second IVF baby was born in India. Oh yeah. Very, in very short order. Yeah. There were two. I'm sure that their doctors were like, come on, will you give birth Seriously? already? I yeah. want to be the first. Nobody remembers number two. And then the following year in 1979, the first American IVF baby was born. And that's the history of IVF. Like, it just goes back that far. Yeah. Since then, uh, I think 35, more than 35 million, uh, IVF babies have been born. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of hundred thousand each year in the U.S. alone now. Yeah. It was like in the 60s, 80s. Now it's up to like a hundred and something, a hundred and change, I think. That, no, I got over 200,000. Do you really? Yeah. Really? I saw sixty one seven forty in two thousand twelve, or maybe maybe it's two hundred thousand worldwide. Okay, all right. Let's just settle on that. I'll, I'll bite <laughs> on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a lot of babies that are born through IVF, yeah. and it's a it's crazy how the, the thing that struck me, and, and finally we're getting to the end of the intro. <laughs> okay, um, is that what IVF is? Mm-hmm. It seems so like whiz bang crazy futuristic. It's really not. No, it's it's figuring out. We figured out how a woman becomes pregnant, and f- 
figured out the ways that we could possibly best help that process along. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. It's really, there's no like crazy new technology. They don't like, like buzz her with like a, a prego laser. Yeah. Nothing like that. It's strictly like catheters and timing and, yeah. you know, hormones. Yeah. It's crazy how simple it is, but it's also equally crazy that, you know, it's as successful as it is considering what it, what in vitro fertilization consists of. Yes, uh, I guess we can go ahead and talk about success rates. Um, in the U.S., women under the age of 35 have a 30 to 35% chance of conceiving with IVF. Uh, it drops to 20 to 25% between 35 and 40, uh, 6 to 10% over 40, uh, and that is percentages of live birth cycle, which is per, Yeah, per cycle. So like if you go through a cycle of in vitro fertilization. Yeah. You have the percentage chance typically, which yeah. is pretty much in lockstep with natural birth rates according to age. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely decreases with age. Oh, yeah. But I'm not saying lower. it's like one for one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But I, I'm saying that I, I think the um, depreciation of, of uh, possibility. Yeah, yeah. It goes down with age naturally as well with IVF too. Yeah. And uh, live birth is the key here because many times... Uh, there will be conception and there'll be a pregnancy, but any number of things can go wrong from there. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, chemical pregnancies, um, ectopic pregnancies, ectopic pregnancies. Apparently some Chinese researcher did a survey of a hundred thousand plus live IVF births. Yeah. Um, and found that there's a correlation. A th- you were three times likelier to have a major birth defect uh-huh. if you were born via in vitro fertilization than natural. Oh really? And he just found a correlation. Um, not a cause, but I just the numbers for some reason spit that out. Yeah. Well, now uh, one of the new things you can do is opt for uh, at a certain point in the process PGD, which is uh, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, mm-hmm. and this is a test that will cost you several thousand dollars, and it basically um, it allows you to root out certain uh, monogenetic disorders. Like you can get PGD testing and find out if. Uh, the baby might have like sickle cell or Huntington's disease or cystic fibrosis or mm-hmm. Downs. And then um, you can make a decision at that point whether or not you want to continue with the process. Yeah, you know, there's a real um, concern that there won't be like that Down syndrome people will be extinct. Yeah. Eventually because the, All the tests testing, sure. have, have gotten so accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen. Well, and there's also ethical concerns with PGD about... You know, do you do selective termination if you find out it's a boy and you wanted a girl? Right. Or, um, oh, I didn't want a kid with brown eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, there's a lot of ethical quandaries. Yeah. Yeah. Associated with it. And, um, it's even more basic than that for a lot of people, too. Like, uh, if you have a fertilized egg, um, or even just an egg, yeah. it's a potential human life to some people. Yeah. That destroying just the egg. That that was never fertilized is like a a moral problem. Yeah, or uh, let's say you um, you have a chance of multiples, um, twins or triplets or quads or more. Uh, if you're a certain age, that is not good and uh, can be dangerous for you as the mother and yeah. for the kids too. Yeah. So at that point, um, you might have to go through what they call selective reduction, which is right. you know choosing. Uh, which ones to go with. Well, there's a lot of pitfalls to yeah. this. Um, 
but there's a lot of people who are helped by it as well. And at the very least, there's a lot of people who seek the help from it. I, I saw something like in this article, which I think was written in 2006 or seven. Yeah, it's a little outdated. It's a tad. Uh, they said uh, 6.1 million Americans are faced with infertility, which um, infertility is not like, bam, you're infertile. Um, the, the, here's what's wrong with you. Right. Infertility. Well, it can be. It, right. But yeah. it isn't always. Yeah. Technically, infertility, the definition of infertility is that you have um, gotten it on for a year, unprotected. Yeah. And no baby's been produced. Yeah. Or six months if you're over 35. Okay. But it depends on the doctor. Like this article talked a lot about, well, if you've gone this far and you've done these procedures, mm-hmm. then they'll move you to this. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the places are fertility clinics or baby factories and they'll, you can go right to IVF if you want to. And, I would and, guess, if, yeah. and if they say that they believe in it. So it's, there's not like any hard and fast law. Right. You know, that's the impression after doing this for how many years have we been doing this now? 80. After 80 years yeah. of doing this. Uh huh. Um, I've learned that a How Stuff Works article is like, it deals in ideals. Yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily like, yeah. this is how it works in the real world. It's like, yeah. this is how it works according to the law. That's true. We do our best. Yeah. Um, so apparently about 7.3 million people um, are faced with infertility and they turn to IVF. And IVF is far and away the most popular form of what's called uh, assisted reproductive technology. Yeah. Which, as we said... Sounds whiz-bang and futuristic, but not necessarily. Yeah, about 50% of uh, ART um, methods are what they call low-tech, which is maybe we'll put you on some hormones. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, antibiotics apparently are a huge one. Oh, really? A huge treatment for infertility. Yeah, they, they supposedly, especially unexplained infertility, which affects something between 10 to 30% of infertility cases are just... Unexplained. Yeah. They're like, we, there's nothing structurally wrong with you. Right. Your husband's sperm is fine. Yeah. Like, there's, we can't figure it out. Well, it made, getting pregnant isn't the easiest thing in the world. No, it's not. It seems that way in the movies. But there's an explanation for things, even when it's unexplained. And because there's this whole unexplained thing, Chuck, there's like, uh, a lot of suggestions as to, you know, what's at play. Yeah. But you're, but you're right. It is kind of like, uh, man, woman, get together, have child, have another child. Yeah. Maybe a third, and like, it's no problem. Yeah. Like you said in the movies. Well, and especially when age comes in, you know, people are getting married later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You see, you know, a 16 year old have a baby without any problem. Right. It's sort of weird that we've, uh, we haven't, uh, things haven't changed reproductively speaking. Like, no. People are getting married in their mid 30s, but you can still get pregnant when you're 13. Right. And it's like... It hasn't shifted... It's not going to shift... With cultural attitudes. No. No, which is why we're like, okay, well, we need technology then. Right. Right. But like I said, um, about half the assisted reproductive technology methods are low-tech. Clomid is a big, uh, probably the most popular fertility drug treatment. Uh, Yeah, they've been using that since like the 50s, right? I don't know. Did it say 50s? Either 50 years or since the 50s. Okay. Well, it's um, it's an oral medication, and it is uh, used to induce ovulation. And actually, now men I've seen have used it to increase testosterone. Oh, yeah? Um, because an NFL player uh, just got banned for using Clomid for fertility. Huh. Um, because they said it increases testosterone, so it was a performance-enhancing drug. 
But he was using it to try to get pregnant? I mean, that's what he said. Oh, that's not fair. Um, yeah, Robert Mathis of the cult, so he was suspended. Um, but Clomid, with Clomid alone, you have an 85% chance of ovulation success and about a 43% chance of pregnancy success over three cycles. And after three cycles, that number goes way down. Um, so oh, really? Like it becomes less and less probable that you'll conceive after three cycles? Yeah, it's the same through three, and then at, and that's just with Clomid. Um, oh, okay. And then after that, like what people generally do is try a few different methods before moving on to IVF. Right. Like just the, the hormones um, or what we'll talk about now, which is uh, artificial insemination. Right, and that, that like um, assisted reproductive technology, yeah. it's an umbrella term. Artificial insemination is an umbrella term underneath the ART umbrella. Yeah. And it's basically any time you um, try to give the sperm a leg up in its race toward the egg. Yeah, it's it's inseminated artificially. In other words, it doesn't come directly from the penis into the vagina. <laughs> right? Why does that make you laugh still? <laughs> I just felt like I was in the kindergarten cla- cop class. Uh, yeah, it's when the, the sperm is harvested and... Um, for for AI for artificial insemination, it's either implanted uh, intravaginal or intracervical. Right. So in the vagina or in the cervix. But if you're going to put it directly into the cervix or the uterus, you have to wash them. Yes. You can't put untreated sperm into directly into the uterus because you will uh, have what's called a, a uteral contraction, which apparently is extraordinarily unpleasant. The sperm have some sort of, um, uh, that's called protoglandins, I think. Yeah. Uh, that you have to wash off the sperm. If you don't, the protoglandins will set off these contractions in the uterus. Exactly. So they, they, and I said utero, I think I meant uterine contractions. They're pretty violent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you wash the sperm and, um, not only does it remove those protoglastins, it's, um, it eliminates any substance that'll get in the way and make the sperm motile and, Motile means they're good swimmers. Right. That's another um, another advantage of using artificial insemination is you can say, uh, you're cut, you're cut, you made the team, you're cut. Right. And then you put together this dream team of the best sperm and you say, go get them. That's right. Right? Yep. So if you're <laughs> using the wash sperm and directly onto the uterus, that's called IUI, intrauterine insemination. Uh, and that's just kind of one step further than AI. Like, Artificial insemination, you can do the turkey baster method at home. Sure. If you want. So. That's a thing. Yeah. Like they have kits. That's a form of artificial insemination. That is artificial insemination. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it's an umbrella term. Well, yeah. If you're using the turkey baster at home, you're, you're artificially inseminating. But you're probably inserting it directly into the vagina, maybe the cervix. You're not doing intrauterine no, insemination. No, you, you can't do IUI at home. No. Unless you have a sperm washer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which you can afford one of those these days, you know? That's right. So if those fail, then uh, your next step is is probably going to be IVF. But like I said, depending on your age and what's going on, you can skip straight to IVF if your doctor says that's okay. Well, we'll skip straight to IVF uh, after a message break. How about that? Smooth. Stuff you All right, so let's talk about the IVF process, huh? Yeah, again, pretty low-tech, high-tech stuff. It's neat. Yeah, it'll cost you about 12 grand. 12 to 20, I saw. Yeah, I mean, that's a 
I hate the ranges for these procedures because <laughs> it really it depends on where you are. And if you have insurance, I think 15 states require insurance to cover it. Um, you know, I let me interject here. There is an argument that the lack of standards in pricing for medical procedures yeah. is the single problem for why the healthcare system in the U.S. is broken. Yeah. That it's not necessarily insurance, that it's not necessarily chronic disease, that right. it is, if you came up with standard pricing, yeah. y- you could solve quite a bit of the... Like expense. car mechanics. Yeah. That's supposed to be a standard. Yes. I always, I never knew that with car mechanics. If you, um, when they say how much time it takes, it's really not how, they don't time how long it takes. There's a manual that says, you know, uh, changing a carburetor is 1.5 hours. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just know that uh, Mr. Goodbranch posts his. Does he? On the board. <laughs> well, good for him. Like McDonald's. What? Like, oh, a menu? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I agree with you about the, the medical standards. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I the mean, surely, yes, chronic disease is a huge problem, especially preventable chronic disease. Oh, yeah. But that's not the only issue here. It's the fact that you can be charged almost literally an arm and a leg depending on where you go. That's right. So IVS, it'll cost you some money, but if you have good insurance, then that'll help out. Uh, so here are, there are basically five steps. Uh, the first is uh, ovarian stimulation. Um, this is one you're going to be taking fertility drugs. Uh, it could be a, a couple of weeks of that. Um, some are oral. Sometimes you're going to be given shots to your wife, or if the lady's on her own, she'll be given shots to herself. Because the good thing about IVF is you don't need a live man necessarily no you just need the sperm yeah so a lot of and it uh, could come from anywhere yeah single ladies or uh, uh all the single ladies <laughs> or uh ladies in the lgbt community i always want to mix up those letters oh i oh yeah like there doesn't need to be a man involved no i mean at I'm some at. point i guess if you could grow sperm in a lab from stem cells? <laughs> Not directly then involved, Then yes. technically you could do that. But, but no, it doesn't yeah, have to be involved. You can harvest uh, sperm from a sperm bank. It could, yeah. Anonymous donor, friend of a friend. Yeah. Uh, transient who's just passing through town. <laughs> sure. Whatever your standards are, you could conceivably get your hands on some sperm. Yeah. And then, bam, you don't need a man. I, I Was it from Lebowski? I could get you some sperm by 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> That is a great movie, man. I saw that again for the first time in a while recently. Yeah. Oh, man. I think he's talking about a big toe. I can get you a big toe by 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, you will need sperm if you're the husband and it's uh, just your regular old husband and wife trying to conceive or just man and woman. Right. Then uh, the husband will uh, deposit that sperm in a, in a little room designed to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> And then they uh, will take the sperm and wash it and hold it. Uh, and it's all timed out, you know, appropriately, of course. Gotcha. They can't hold them to it forever. And so that's the ovarian stimulation. Like you're trying to get the eggs to come along. And, and not only are you trying to get the an egg to come along, you're yeah. trying to get several to come along. Yeah, that's the whole point is you want multiple eggs. Right. So, you know, a woman is born with all of the approximately 400,000 eggs she'll ever produce in her life. Yeah. Um, and that and, number just goes down. Right. Uh, uh, during her uh, menstrual cycle, yeah, one of those eggs enters a fallopian tube and um, it, it becomes mature, right? So what these hormones do is get a bunch of those eggs into their fallopian wrappers yep. and get them to mature over time. And the doctor um, 
I guess, pays attention to how they're maturing. And when he decides these eggs are ready to go, that's when you hit step two, which is the egg retrieval step. That's right. And that is not super complicated either. Uh, it's called, the name sounds complicated, transvaginal ultrasound aspiration. But what it really is, is a mild sedative and a suction uh, device that sucks out the eggs. <laughs> and that's really all there is to it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, if you cannot use the um, TUA method, you will uh, have to go undergo a more involved procedure called uh, laparoscopic surgery, which isn't super involved either. Uh, it is also a short process, but there's a small incision in the abdomen uh, to locate your ovaries. Yeah, they put a little video camera in there. Yeah. So um, more involved, obviously, because it is a surgical procedure, but it's not like you're staying in the hospital for a week or anything. Right. Yeah. It's just more involved because you have to use more anesthesia, too, which automatically yeah. increases risks. Exactly. Uh, with the other one, aspiration? Yeah. Uh, the uh, I guess you just need a mild sedative, it says here. Yeah, it's like, uh, like twilight sleep. Gotcha. All right, so step three, you've got your eggs. You've got your multiple eggs. They're all looking good. Then you... Yeah, because they go through and they look at them and, yeah. and say, this one looks good, this one looks good. Nah, not this one. Yeah, and I'm not sure when PGD can take place. I think after I would fertilization. Guess sure, I would think. Yeah, yeah, I guess it would have to be. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so then you've got your insemination, and like I said, you're, you've got your sperm, uh, however you got it. We ain't asking. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever. It was a transient on the street. More power to you. Um, they examine the eggs and say these look robust and juicy and full, and <laughs> right. these are the best ones. So we're going to use these. And that's when the sperm is added, and the best sperm um, is picked, and then it's in a culture and it's doing its thing. Right. And depending on the sperm, um, they might inject it directly into the egg. Yeah. Which is called um, oh. Intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Uh, they could also it's just a great band name, <laughs> right? That's like the the sperm doesn't have to go into the egg; it gets put into the egg, right? Um, but more traditional methods are just inserting it into the um, near the egg in the culture, right? Yeah, and the culture can be artificial, but um, it's also often made of the endometrium from the woman, or um, some in addition to possibly like her. Um, uh, cervical fluids. Yeah. So like it's, it's basically mimicking. Yeah. What will, what would be going on in like the fallopian tube or something. That's all like they're that. doing is taking the process that normally happens inside the woman's body and yeah. doing it outside. Right. For a little while. And so you've got the egg and the sperm in the same culture and it's within possibly an hour. Yeah. Fertilization might have taken place. There's an open bar. Everyone's getting to know each other. <laughs> right. Everyone's getting friendly. A little icebreaker happens. And like you said, it can be hours when they uh, are doing the fertilization dance. Right. And the next day, your doctor is going to confirm visually uh, that there are two pronuclei, and that is the the basis of your embryo right there. If yeah. you see that, then that means things are headed in the right direction. Because the pronuclei from the sperm and the pronuclei from the egg are going to fuse to make a single nuclei, mm-hmm. and that um, becomes the embryo. Which divides into, well, that becomes a zygote, I'm sorry. Yeah. Which divides into two cells. And then I think by the time it's either two or four cells, it becomes an embryo. Right? Yeah. 
And then, uh. And that's a couple of days after fertilization is when you get to that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the cell division is very slow at first, but yeah. then it starts to pick up time. By the time you reach day five or six, you've got what's called a blastocyst. And by this time, yeah. there's, um, fetal tissues growing in like, a uh, embryonic fluid cavity. And it, this thing is. There's a placenta. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, this, the doctor's not normally going to see this. They're going to observe the egg, the fertilized egg or yeah. embryo for maybe a couple of days to make sure everything's progressing normally. And then they'll put it back into the mom. Yeah. I mean, that can be done, uh, after one day, but, um, your, your doctor, they'll have a plan of when they think the best time is. And right. you're being monitored and all that. Not you, the man, but the woman is being right. monitored. Sure. They don't care about the man. <laughs> and then depending, depending on where they put it, that that's the type of um, assisted reproductive technology that's being used, right? Yeah. So, like, if you are using IVF, the thing's been fertilized outside of the womb, outside of the body. Yeah. And then introduced into the um, the uterus. Yeah, it's called a transfer. Yeah, and they basically just use a catheter, right? Yeah, it's um, it's it's suspended in fluid um, to, I guess, just make it easier to get in there. It's like those um, peanuts, the foam peanuts for shipping. <laughs> it's that version. Exactly. So it's suspended uh, in a drop of fluid, and it is a long, thin catheter, and it's um, placed into the vagina, past the cervix, right there in the uterus, and squirt. There it goes. Yes. And it's really that easy. There's another process called. Um, Zygote uh, intrafallopian transfer, where um, it's the same process, yeah. but instead of depositing the fertilized egg into the uterus, yeah. they put it into the fallopian tube. Right. And I think that has not as great a chances as IVF. Is that right? Uh, I think you try uh, ZIFT, is what it's abbreviated as, um, before IVF. Okay. But again, all those rules are subject to change, yeah. depending on your doctor and your situation. Um, and then your embryo hopefully will attach to the uterine wall. Uh, if it attaches, I think we said eptopic pregnancy is, uh, when it does not attach to the uterine wall, but, uh, outside of the uterus, but usually the fallopian tube, I think. Right. It yeah. like never descends into the uterus. And so you can't get pregnant that way or you can't have a kid that way. No, you can't. Like no. even if the kid starts to develop, you have to terminate the pregnancy because it will kill you. That's right. Or uh, you can get what's called a chemical pregnancy, which is uh, basically just a really early miscarriage, super early in the process. Chemical pregnancy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and those are just a couple of things that can go wrong along the way. Uh you know, it's a stressful time for the couples because they're probably at their, it's probably their last step. Yeah. Uh, toward having a natural, as they call them. Sure. Um, and then the woman is also getting injections for hormones throughout that can be rough on, uh, on the lady as well. I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, in addition to being injected with hormones, having your eggs harvested, getting laparoscopic surgery, like um, your husband being in a room where he has to ejaculate into a cup and like yeah. all of this stuff, yeah. um, there are actual risks involved, like physical risks. So like we said, with if you get the laparoscopic surgery when your eggs are harvested, um, like you have the risk that comes from any kind of anesthesia, yeah. any kind of surgery like that. Sure. So um, – there are things like uh, chest pains. Um, what else? 
Well, there's one risk called uh, OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, and that's when your ovaries swell up, uh, which is super painful. And about 30% of patients um, experience that, but it can range from mild cases where you just take over-the-counter meds mm-hmm. to more severe cases, um, moderate to severe, where you know gas and nausea and vomiting and no appetite. Uh, and I think only 1% to 2% of women experience severe OHSS. Yeah. And but that means you're probably gonna gonna go to the hospital, gain a lot of weight, like things that women don't like. And and that's the result of those fertility drugs. Like the ovary is like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I did not sign up for this. Yeah. You're overstimulating me. Yeah. And I'm fighting back. Pretty much. Um but yeah, it's it does sound like it's fairly common, at least in a mild form. And it's in the mildest form apparently it clears up on its own. Yeah. Um so then uh, like I said, with egg retrieval, you have the general anesthetic issue. Um, and then even with the lighter aspiration procedure, uh, there's still problems like you can get an infection. Yeah. Um, you can have structural damage. Yeah. But speaking of structural damage, um, in addition to in vitro fertilization, uh, you could also try surgery. That's another avenue that some people try to um, solve their infertility. Like if you have if your fallopian tube is blocked or whatever, they can go in. And yeah, yeah. Like if you have a, a physical problem, right? Yeah. So, Chuckers, we already mentioned uh, Zift. Have you heard of Gift? I have. Uh, gamete intrafallopian transfer is similar to IVF, but um, it's in the fallopian tubes. Now, what's the difference between Zift and Gift then? Okay, I'll explain. Oh, wait, wait. Zift is in a lab. Yes. Gift is in the fallopian tubes. Yeah, like you go in and, yeah. and artificially inseminate the egg in the fallopian tube. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but if you have damaged fallopian tubes, you can't use the gift method. No. But that, the gift method, the advantage of it is it much, it much more closely mimics natural birth or natural um, pregnancy. Yeah. Because the, the egg is inseminated in the fallopian tube and then it just goes about its normal process from there. Yes. So aside from having sperm introduced through a needle, it's totally natural. Yeah. But it's not used. It's only like 2% uh, of cases. And I think Zift is only 1%. Yeah. I saw even less than that. I saw that both of them are less than 1%. And yeah. The, the big blockbuster is in vitro fertilization. <laughs> Uh, and then there's something called ICSI, uh, intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And that's a treatment that you'll do alongside IVF. Yeah, uh, remember I was saying, like, depending on how the sperm is introduced, yeah. that's one way that it might work. Yeah, in about 40% of cases, I think they use the um, the ICSI method. And that's just injecting the sperm basically into the egg itself. Well, a single sperm. That's like right. your sperm has problems, and so we're going to pick out one dude. Hercules. 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 <laughs> uh, and the cool thing about IVF is... If Literally. You, yeah. If you have multiple eggs um, that are really great, um, you can freeze the ones you don't use. And if you want to go back for round two, you can skip the first part of the harvesting and go directly to uh, the next steps. Yeah. I guess you could skip all the hormones and all of the possible overstimulation of ovaries. Yeah. The initial hormones, but you still have the, the ones on the backside. But gotcha. it's uh, being able to skip that, that first bit is a big relief to a lot of women. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's worth the expense, too. Uh, oh, to freeze them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, what's crazy about all this, Chuck, is that not all insurance covers this. A lot of insurance treats 
um, IVF procedures as an elective yeah. procedure. Sure. Um, as a result, some states, I think 15 states have laws on the book saying uh, if you're an insurance company operating in our state, you have to yeah. at the very least cover infertility treatments. Yeah, and I mean, just check with your insurance if you're interested. They may cover some, but not all, um, but you'll probably get some assistance. You hope. Yeah. Or you can just move to a state like Massachusetts that has like... Yeah. Um, uh, the law? Yeah, basically the law is like you cover IVF. Apparently they have... Yeah. Right. <laughs> they have the best, some of the best IVF doctors up there. Oh, really? Yeah, I read an article that interviewed this one couple and they were... Like what some state that didn't have any insurance laws about IVF. Yeah. And they moved to Massachusetts and they said it was like going from a place, going from a hospital that didn't even have x-ray technology to going into like the most cutting edge type of oh, wow. hospital you could possibly imagine. Just because, because it's required there, the doctors by nature are all just experts at it because they've done so much work on it. They, they're trying to make little baby liberals. Right. <laughs> little Ted Kennedy's <laughs> yeah, running around. Exactly. You got anything else? I got nothing else. So Godspeed, uh, couples out there going through this stuff. Yeah, Godspeed and good luck. Yeah. We wish you well. Um, and if you want to learn even more about this, you can type uh, in vitro fertilization in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that brings up listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, sur- work surveillance. <laughs> okay. Remember we did that one? Yeah. About people, uh, employees spying on you? Yeah. Employers spying? Which is true. Uh, hey guys, I work for Blank Company, a large shipping corporation, let's call. Shipco. Yeah, Shipco. <laughs> for seven years. Uh, when I started, I loved the company and the job. Uh, as things shifted more towards a bottom line oriented attitude with the company, I started to get pretty burnt out, began looking for something else to do with my life. I had always had an intense, uh, I'm sorry, an interest. We'll say an intense interest. <laughs> an electric guitar is not just as a player, but something I studied from a historical standpoint. I would always enjoy taking uh, a part and messing with my guitars. Uh, at some point, I became interested in luthiery and decided to become a guitar maker. So what I ended up happen- uh, doing... <laughs> Wait, luthiery? Yeah, like a luthier is a guitar maker. Huh. Like a Cooper makes the barrels? Yeah, wine barrels, I think. Yeah. Yeah, a luthier makes a guitar. I did not know that. L-U-T-H-I-E-R. What ended up happening, I would finish up my workload for the day and tidy up the store. And if there were no customers, I would work on my guitar designs at work. Uh, For a while, the management didn't care. But as the pressure started being put on them, they had to tell me to stop. But I didn't because I'd found my passion. Finally, one day, I was pulled into the office and handed screenshots that I hadn't taken of my guitar design work. Uh, that I was doing on the clock. Uh-oh. So they had a program that wasn't just sending keystroke information to their security team. It was sending actual screens of everything going on on it. Uh, yeah, we talked about that one. Yeah. I don't remember what it's called. Man, I would freak out if someone handed me screenshots. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, I was put on disciplinary probation. I uh, didn't make it to the end of that because I quit to pursue my dream. And I'm happy to say that I've been a full-time professional luthier ever since. That's awesome. Uh, one of my guitars is even on the cover of a recent issue of Premier Guitar Magazine. Wow. That's like the Premier Guitar Magazine. <laughs> There's a second story about a robbery that happened while I was on that probation period. Uh, but I'll leave that for anyone curious enough to Google my name. Tantalizing. All right. That is from Paul Roney, uh, R-H-O-N-E-Y. And he says, if either one of you guys wants a handmade USA electric guitar, 
by a company that doesn't spy on its employees and hit me up. I will hook you up. Wow. And I checked them out, and they're sweet. Yeah? So yeah, I'm going to see what hook you up means and then talk <laughs> 10% to 10% <them>. off <laughs> when you use coupon code stuff. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, that is from uh, Paul Roney, and good for you for fighting Shipco. Yeah, and pursuing your dreams, Mr. Roney. Yeah. Congratulations. And you're doing a good job. Those things are beautiful. Yeah. So uh, if you want to let us know about how you stuck it to the man, you can tell us via Twitter at SYSK Podcast on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know, uh, through email at StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com, and uh, check out our website while you're at it, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 